0: Many of my family members have served in the military, including my dad. And even though I was really young when he died, he was always present in our home. There were pictures of him in uniform and a statue that he received when he retired from the Army as a Master Sergeant after 33 years of service. And that statue seemed special or important somehow to me. It was a a bronze statue of a soldier and that soldier had a rifle in his left hand and, and his right hand was raised as he was calling his fellow soldiers into battle. And I remember looking at that statue when I was little and thinking, wow, I wonder if my dad ever did that. In late 2000, I started thinking about joining the military myself. At that point in time, I had two boys Tori was about nine and, and Benjamin wasn't even a year old yet. We lived north of Knoxville with my husband Patrick and a variety of farm animals. I thought about joining the military before, but it just never came to fruition. And I thought, well, if you're gonna do it, why not now? So I talked to my family and, and with their support, I joined. Went off to basic training and then some more training. AND EVEN MORE TRAINING. AND THEN IN 2003, I COMMISSIONED AS A SECOND LIEUTENANT IN THE IOWA NATIONAL GUARD. AND, YOU KNOW, I ALWAYS WANTED TO GIVE MY CHILDREN THE OPPORTUNITY TO CHOOSE THEIR PATH IN LIFE BASED ON WHAT THEY WANTED TO DO OR THEIR PASSION, NOT BASED ON, YOU KNOW, SOLELY BASED ON FINANCIAL MEANS. BASICALLY, I I WANTED TO GIVE THEM THE FREEDOM TO CHOOSE and I thought the military would be a great way to support my family. Fast forward about six years or so, I was a captain and I was selected to take a command of a forward support company. That forward support company was attached to an infantry battalion and that infantry battalion was gonna be deploying to Afghanistan in 2010. I also learned that I would be leading the charge on a new concept called Female Engagement Teams. The troops on ground in Afghanistan at the time, about 2009, were running into some problems. As they went out into the villages, they could only speak to about 50% of the population. See, in Afghanistan, the women couldn't speak to men that they didn't know, and we were following those customs. So as they went out into the villages and tried to gather information about insurgents and to make things better for the villagers, they could only speak to the men. And that in and of itself was creating a problem because the Afghan men knew if I've got contraband that I don't want the soldiers to know about, just gonna hide it with the women. And they would hide things like illicit drugs or large sums of money or cell phones that they would use to contact insurgents or set off roadside bombs. As females, we would play a pivotal role in counterinsurgency. We were gonna go out into the villages and talk to the women and the children and even the men and find out you know, were there insurgents in the area and what their needs were in that village. As I mentioned, the female engage- engagement teams were new to the Army at that time And we were all intrigued and we were all excited. But as the leader, I was a little worried. I wasn't worried about my female soldiers. I knew they could do it. But what I was worried about are these missions were going to be very different than anything that we'd ever done before. Typically, when we went on mission, we were in big, safe trucks. But these missions, we were going to be on foot. So the potential for coming face to face with the enemy had just increased for us. I remember very vividly in my first mission, we were going out into villages to do personal pat-downs of the females to look for that contraband that I talked about. We, as we approached the village, again, we were walking, and I remember the smells. The air was permeated with the smell of smoke and, and sewage. They warmed their houses of course with wood and they baked with wood and there was no infrastructure, there was no plumbing. We heard the feral dogs barking and, and the, the villagers used that as kind of an alarm system to alert them that something different was going on in the area. So as we entered the village, the, the women, you know, they were, they were wandering about and, and I remember thinking, holy cow, they look like they're dressed like it's biblical times. They were always in dresses and skirts uh, layers, lots of layers, and they always had scarves on, uh, covering their hair, and usually, especially when we were in the village, covering their faces as well. We did find out that underneath those scarves, sometimes they had jewelry and even makeup on. We thought that was kind of interesting. The, the kids were always dirty, uh, they, like they'd been playing in the dirt, which I guess they probably had been. It's, it's really all they had. They were, they were really impoverished. The women were baking unleavened bread, and they would carry water on their heads or maybe on their shoulders. So me and the, and the infantry soldiers approached the village elders, and we talked to them and told them that we were going to engage the women that day. Well, as you can imagine, when we're all in our protective gear, we look just alike. So you can't tell whether we're a man or a woman. And the village elder looked a little confused, and so even though it— it made me a little more vulnerable i took off my helmet and i took off my eye protection to prove that i was a female and he was shocked he sat there looking at me like um, he didn't know what to say in fact i don't think he knew that female soldiers even existed but he did agree to let us engage with the women that day so we gathered all the women in in a building in the middle of town and we were doing the personal pat-downs one at a time and This young Afghan woman came into the room and she was carrying a baby and We didn't know how to do the pat-down because she was carrying the baby and she was she was confused and she didn't know What to do and and she started to get a little nervous and so instinctively I held out my hands and I guess instinctively She gave me the baby And my partner performed the pat down and i gave the baby back and off she went you know i've done this many times here in the states i'd see a mom struggling at a cash register holding a baby in her purse and the groceries and 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 trying to make things happen there and and i'd offer to hold the baby and she would give me the baby she'd pay the cashier i'd give her the baby back and off she would go I think there was just a little bit of trust with us, more so than the men, just simply because we were females. Another mission that really is very vivid for me, we were going into this village because we had learned that there was insurgents in the village and that they had planted caches of bombs and weapons either in the village or right outside of the village. So we wander into the village, we're pulling security, the male soldiers are talking to the elders, and then they told them that we wanted to talk to the women in the village. Again, I have to come over, prove that I'm a female, I take off my helmet, I take off my eye protection, and the village elder is shocked. Once he gets over his shock, he agrees that we can talk to the women. So all the women in that particular village are gathering in the middle of town, And i'm standing there kind of waiting for them to get together and i turn around and i see this elderly woman woman and she's crouched down on this retaining wall about 20 feet away from me and she sees me look at her and she motions for me to come toward her and so i get the interpreter and i head over there and i and and she's dressed in, uh, again, dress and, and layers with grays and browns and, and blacks. And she has a scarf over her hair, loosely over her hair, but not over her face. And her face is very tanned and weathered and wrinkled. And, and she doesn't have very many teeth. I remember that very vividly. And she starts talking, and she's talking almost frantically and in fact she's talking so fast the interpreter can't keep up he can't interpret what she's saying she he just can't keep up with her and so i'm thinking wow we're going to gather a lot of information from this woman and and help the village and and help the soldiers that i'm with and then all of a sudden she just stops and she's about three feet from me and she motions to me to step toward her so i did kind of curious and she reaches out and she puts a hand on either side of my face now mind you she's crouched down on a retaining wall and she and so she's above me a little bit and she puts a hand on either side of my face and at this point in time emotions kind of rush in because the women didn't initiate contact with us there and I didn't know if this was a good thing or a bad thing. I didn't know if she was happy about this, if she was mad. I didn't know uh, if somebody was gonna hurt me. Uh, I started to get uh, pretty anxious and, and almost to the point of being scared. None, nothing like this had ever happened before. And and she she reached down and she kissed me on the forehead. And then she just started talking again. And the interpreter said, That she wanted me to know that I was glad that she was glad that I was there in the village and that she knew that because the US forces were there her village would now be a better place and a safer place for them to raise their families I later found out that that kiss on the forehead meant that she had she respected me a great deal She invited me into her house. Again, something that just never happens. But she wanted me to come through the back door, which was really just a hole in the wall with a ladder to it. So we climbed up this ladder into the back door of the house, and there was young women there welcoming me into the home. They took me through the house out to the front porch. And on the front porch, there were these huge wool pillows And blankets of all different colors and they invited me to sit down and they brought me nuts and pomegranate seeds and some juice and some water and and we just sat there and we had a conversation and I asked them things about what do they need in their village what would it take to make things better for them and they said they wanted jobs for their men and healthcare, especially for their kids. And I thought, here I am, thousands of miles from home in a place very, very different than Iowa, and these moms sitting in front of me want exactly the same thing that I want. Sorry. Sometimes when I tell this story, I'm literally reliving this story. So, that point became even more poignant for me once I returned home and started to adjust back to life with my family. You know, earlier I had said that I joined the military because I just really wanted a better life for my family. And I wanted my kids to be able to live freely and have free choice. And that's a motive that I learned moms across the globe have. You know, it doesn't matter what we look like, what we eat, what our religion is, what our profession is, what language we speak, but we really have a lot in common with each other. And that really brought home for me the point that I think we definitely should applaud our differences, but maybe more importantly, we need to start celebrating our similarities. Thank you.